Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello, and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. I'm Melinda. And we're your host. Yes, we are. And we are going to be talking about nature versus nurture today, which is actually something that I've been wanting to research since before we even had this podcast. And I just want to start by saying that Sharon did a lot of research on this and you guys should see she like drew up a document with like a chart and all sorts of stuff it's awesome so I'm really excited to dig in with her on this so why are we going to be talking about nature versus nurture today well because I find this completely fascinating uh this topic and uh it's something I think about a lot and I think it's it's just crazy to me Um, to think about how someone is able to murder another person and how people can just do it over and over and over again. And I think serial killers are utterly fascinating. And also they are absolutely horrendous people. And I couldn't even fathom ever doing anything like what they do. My brain will never be able to comprehend how someone could possibly be a serial killer. But that's what makes them so interesting to me and obviously to most people you just have to rationalize to yourself that you know something really really unspeakably horrible must have happened to people who become serial killers you know at a young age something had to have happened to them to make them do the things they do which brings up the question is it nature or nurture that makes someone a killer or a serial killer? And for some killers like Eileen Ornos or Henry Lee Lucas, they had such fucked up childhoods that you think that they never had a choice. Because of the abuse they suffered as a child, you pretty much expect them to grow up to be killers or at the very least completely dysfunctional members of society who will never have a normal life. But would they ever have killed if they weren't so abused? This is the question that I really wanted to get uh, to the bottom of. I just really wanted to know the answer to this. Um, And then there's other people, uh, serial killers like Bundy or Dahmer, who cut heads off people and fucked corpses, and in Dahmer's case, even cannibalized his victims. And you hear that they had kind of relatively normal childhoods growing up. So how the fuck did they become such monsters? Well, we are going to examine what exactly is a serial killer, how does nature play a role in their development, how does nurture play a role, what about someone who is diagnosed clinically as a psychopath who does not kill, Mindy and I will also take a quiz to find out if we're psychopaths. (laughs) And after all the research I did on this, I think I finally have my answer to the question, but we'll get to that later. For now, I just want to acknowledge my sources. All this info comes from journal articles from the Journal of Forensic Science, Social and Cultural Geography Journal, Journal of Punjab, Academy of Forensic Medicine and Toxicology, the Mayo Clinic website, ForensicColleges.com, AE.com, the British 
Psychological Research Society, Research Digest, and Biography.com. Wow. Yeah. And honestly, there might have been a few more that I forgot to list here. I apologize for that. Uh, And if (laughs) anyone saw my browser history in the last few weeks while I was doing this research, uh, the the Google searches that I did, uh, yeah, there there might be people watching me. (laughs) So if anything happens to you, tell John Rothwell to clear your browser history is what you're saying. (laughs) Parks and Rec's reference. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's start with the countries that produce the largest numbers of serial killers in the world. Mindy, can you take a guess which country may have the largest number of serial killers? Uh, Canada? Close. <laughs> Neighbors to the south. Is it shocking to find out that the U.S. is the most? USA! USA! <laughs> yes, we are number one. And like, not only are we number one, but no one else in the world comes even close. Like remotely. <laughs> no, like all the, we are, um, so currently from the research that I've done, approximately 2,743 serial killers in the U.S. amounting to 67.41% of the entire world's serial killers on records. And, USA. You. <laughs> and if you take the next nine countries that are in the top 10 list, and add those up, it still doesn't even come close. Uh, England comes in at number two with only 145 serial killers. I don't think that's surprising to anyone. But before we get into all the definitions of what a serial killer is, what makes someone a serial killer, is it nature, is it nurture, uh, I just want to say a little bit about the first known serial killer in the U.S. who was Mikaja Big Harp. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. And uh, he terrorized the Western frontier in 1798, the Ohio and Mississippi River Valleys, killing at least 32 people with the assistance of his brother, Wiley Little Harp. Um, I guess he was big and little because his brother was tiny and he was like a big hulking man. But I've actually never heard of either of them. But maybe that's something that we can research for a future Hmm. episode. Spot on nicknames, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So... Let's get down to it. What is the definition of a serial killer? Well, the FBI defines serial murder as the killing of several persons in three or more separate incidents over weeks or extended periods. Serial killers are not driven by greed, hatred, envy, revenge, or spur-of-the-moment violence, but by deeper, long-harbored compulsions. However random their acts may appear to others, serial killers do indeed operate on the basis of a certain perverse logic, even if it is only known to them. Considerable diversity exists in the motivations, types, and actions of serial killers because they often exhibit several types of personality disorders. Acute generalizations are difficult to make. Contrary to popular belief, the majority of serial killers are not technically insane. Insanity is a legally specific term that addresses only the questions of whether or not the killer knew at the time of the murder that the act was wrong. Most serial killers know that their actions are wrong. Yeah, they do. And I should say that uh, most of this research came after we did our serial killer trivia episode. <laughs> and had I had done this research before we recorded that, I probably would have done much, much better. But uh, that's may- okay. No. Maybe we can do a rematch on, I was gonna on say, serial killer trivia. No, triv- no trivia shaming around here. It's fine. No, 
<laughs> we can be as dumb as we want to be. <laughs> All right. So most serial killers exhibit a well-known triad of behaviors in childhood, which a lot of us are familiar with this triad. Prolonged bedwetting, cruelty to animals, and a fascination with fire. Most were physically and or sexually abused. Many become abnormally interested in pornography as adolescents, like Ted Bundy did, and antisocial as adults. However, often they appear quite normal in surface appearance and behavior, like Ted Bundy did. (laughs) He's probably going to get referenced a lot here. Organized killers like Gacy, H.H. Holmes, or BTK often appear outwardly as socially normal. Their victims usually fit a specific profile that only has meaning to the killer, and they tend to stick to victims that are the same race or ethnicity as they are. In contrast to this, disorganized killers, such as Richard Chase, also known as the Vampire Killer of Sacramento, or Eileen Warnos, in which the psychosis has become relatively more advanced, They lack impulse control, they do not plan their kills in advance, they use whatever means of murder are handy, and they are less choosy about the physical characteristics of their victims. Or they can be mixed, offenders who exhibit organized and disorganized characteristics such as Richard Ramirez or Jeffrey Dahmer. Serial killers can also be divided into four categories. There's the visionary, mission-oriented, hedonistic, and control-oriented. So first, we have the visionary. They are usually out of touch with reality. It may be psychosis or schizophrenia, and the crime occurs as a result of psychotic delusions, like murder in response to voices or visions urging them to kill. A good example of this is David Berkowitz, a.k.a. Son of Sam, who thought that his neighbor's dog was telling him to kill people. So next, we have mission-oriented killers, They have a distinct goal, feeling that it's their mission to kill certain kinds of people, such as prostitutes and homosexuals, to clean up the society. Uh, You can think of Travis Bickle. He would be a good example of a mission-oriented killer. Travis Bickle, for those of you who don't know, from the movie Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro's character. Um, They're rarely insane. An example of this would be Joseph P. Franklin, who is a former member of the KKK who was convicted in 1980 of four homicides, including a sniper shooting of two black men who were jogging with a white woman in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the shooting of an interracial couple in Madison, Wisconsin. Franklin justified and rationalized his compulsive and ritualistic killings by saying, race mixing is a sin against God in nature. I feel it is my duty as a servant of God to protect white womanhood from injury or degradation. Uh, All I could think of is Blazing Saddles. Where are all the white women at? (laughs) I've never seen Blazing Saddles, (gasps) sadly. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. That's a classic. Anyway, back to our, our story. Uh, Then there is the hedonistic serial killer. They are psychopathic sexual sadists who say that 10 times fast. Yeah, right? (laughs) Hedonistic serial killers are thrill seekers and they kill for kicks. Dahmer and Ed Kemper would be two examples of a hedonistic serial killer. And then finally, we have control-oriented. They enjoy the absolute power over their victim. Gary Ridgway and BTK are good examples of a control-oriented serial killer. So now we have some common characteristics of serial killers. Many of them come from families that have a history of psychological and behavioral problems like alcoholism, drug abuse, or sexual abuse, and the serial killers 
were abused physically, emotionally, or sexually themselves, and they have poor relationships with their family members, especially their mothers. <coughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Henry Lee Lucas would be another example that comes to mind. Uh, They suffered a traumatic childhood or came from broken families. Another thing that a lot of serial killers have in common is that fantasy plays a larger role in the life of a serial killer and they can use it as a coping mechanism for day-to-day life as if they are addicted to it. Having an inability to love is especially evident in a serial killer and also considered to be the core of antisocial personality disorder. And we will get into um, some of the different personality disorders that uh, a lot of serial killers have um, in just a little bit. They also never truly bond with their family. They have very few friendships and they're usually viewed as a loner. Their behavior is highly impulsive and aggressive, and they require more thrills than normal people. And finally, unless stopped, a serial killer will kill again and again with increase in frequency unless they are removed from society. All right, so now we're going to get into a little bit of the nature side. Uh, What actually makes uh, someone a serial killer or, I guess, a killer in general? So cognitive neuroscience Hints at a physiological basis, this would be the nature, for the characteristic lack of empathy or guilt, shallow emotions, and cold-blooded cruelty that serial killers typically possess. Many forensic psychologists suspect a genetic chemical imbalance in the brain. Some serial killers, such as Arthur Shawcross, possess an extra Y chromosome, which may produce hyper aggressive behavior but this theory was actually largely disproved by larger population-based studies however the presence of the extra y chromosome may confer some greater risk for antisocial behavior because of an association with learning problems and low intelligence interesting Mm -hmm. the majority around two-thirds of serial killers are clinically diagnosed in the widely used Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as DSM. Uh, Currently, it is the DSM-5. That is the um, newest edition of this uh, manual. Um, So once again, around two-thirds of serial killers are clinically diagnosed in the DSM five as suffering from personality disorder cluster type B, which is typified by antisocial personality disorder, also known as sociopathic or psychopathic. What are cluster B personality disorders, you might ask? I would ask. (laughs) Well, I have an answer for you, Mindy. (laughs) Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, or unpredictable thinking or behavior. They include antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. Um, Every time I talk to my mom, she mentions at least twice how much of a narcissistic psycho Trump is. Yes. (laughs) He might have a uh, cluster B personality disorder. I'm just saying your mom's probably right. (laughs) Uh, So... People who are diagnosed with this cluster are emotionally unstable, 
So well, let's here. Let's let's go through the checklist and see if any of this matches up, Mindy. Okay. All right. So people diagnosed with this cluster are emotionally unstable. Check. <laughs> self-centered. Oh, check. Sexually inappropriate. Oh my god, total check. <laughs> uh prone to a grandiose view of their own uniqueness and abilities? Yeah, I think that that one works. Just a little bit. Uh utterly lacking in empathy and any sense of shame. Uh totally. And are often superficially charming. Nah. Uh, yeah, I mean some to people. To some maybe. To some, not not to me. Um, manipulative and exploitive. Yep. For sure. Yep. D- check. <laughs> Pretty much done, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I think we've solved that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the remaining 30% of serial killers have one or more other psychoses such as schizophrenia. It is rare and highly controversial for a serial killer to suffer from any kind of multiple personality disorder, though. And all of that information actually comes from uh, ForensicColleges.com if you want to, you know, do a little bit more research on your own. So let's get into these different types of personality disorders and what serial killers have these disorders. So serial killers with antisocial personality disorder, also known as APD, are characterized by a total disregard of the feelings of others. People with APD may lie, act out violently, or break the law and show no remorse. WebMD reports that while APD only affects 0.6% of the population, it may affect up to 47% of male inmates and 21% of female inmates. That's considering the entire population Mm -hmm. of people with APD is only 0.6. I think that says a lot that almost 50% of male inmates possess APD and 21% of female inmates do. It's also been diagnosed amongst two of the most ruthless American serial killers, Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy. So Ted Bundy, who is an infamous killer and necrophile, confessed to 30 murders in the 1970s. John Wayne Gacy, known as the killer clown, raped and killed 33 boys and young men in the 70s. Charles Manson, um, who, not a serial killer that we know of. Technically. Technically. I mean, there are hints and suspicions and whatever that he's killed some people mostly though he had other people do his dirty work for him but i i would not put it past him (laughs) that he had killed people but just just for the sake of what we know now to be true um he also um is said to have had apd and we all know he was the leader of the manson family cult and mastermind behind the 1969 murders at the home of sharon tate and yes he actually was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder so serial killers who have borderline personality disorder are characterized by impulsive behaviors intense mood swings, feelings of low self-worth, and problems in interpersonal relationships. Interestingly, this seems more common among female criminals. All of those characteristics sound like a teenage girl. (laughs) Kind of. Uh, Impulsive behaviors, intense mood swings, feelings of low (laughs) self-worth. I mean, I don't find it hard to believe that that problems in interpersonal relationships. Yeah. I mean... It could also characterize uh, a teenage girl or me when I have PMS. 
So even though we said earlier that it was rare for a serial killer to suffer from multiple personality disorders, um, Eileen Warnos, who confessed to seven murders in Florida, was actually diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. And doctors believe that due to the traumatic abuse that she suffered as a child, she had also developed borderline personality disorder. Uh, Despite that, uh, Warnos was sentenced to death and eventually volunteered to receive lethal injection even after her sentence had been put on hold. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, who killed 17 boys and men between 1978 and 1991, and he also struggled with heavy alcohol abuse. Despite that, and despite being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, he was still found competent enough to stand trial for his 17 murders and we all know or maybe we don't all know spoiler alert (laughs) he was beaten to death in prison uh kristen h gilbert who um i actually was not really familiar with this person before i did my research killed four patients at a northampton virginia hospital where she worked as a nurse by administering fatal doses of epinephrine to induce cardiac arrest and finally Andre Chicatello, who that was uh, another one of our trivia. Uh, we oh, had a trivia it? question on him in our serial killer trivia episode. He killed at least 52 victims in the Soviet Union. He was raised in extreme poverty in Nazi-occupied Ukraine. He witnessed extensive violence during childhood. He sexually molested children, then expanded his activities into murder. He killed children as well as vagrants and young women and sometimes consumed sex organs. Ugh. Yeah. All right. So now on to uh, serial killers with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is characterized as a wide-ranging and often misdiagnosed mental illness. List of symptoms incl- uh, include uh, anything from hallucinations and delusions to emotional flatness and catatonia. Uh, we mentioned him earlier, David Berkowitz, also known as Son of Sam. He killed six people in the 1970s, claiming that his neighbor's dog had told him to do it. Aww. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Ed Gein, who was the inspiration for uh, Norman Bates, Buffalo Bill, and also Leatherface. And was from Illinois. Fuck you, Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, old joke. <laughs> Anyway, anyways, back to um. So he murdered and mutilated his, mutilated his victims, often keeping grisly trophies. After being charged with the murder and mutilation of multiple victims, he was deemed unfit for trial, but diagnosed with schizophrenia. Ten years later, he faced trial and was found guilty, but spent the rest of his days in a mental hospital. We have Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento. He killed six people in California and drank their blood. Yum. Chase was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was institutionalized for a year. After his spree, however, doctors concluded that he had acquired psychosis through his heavy drug use. Regardless, he suffered serious mental health issues. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, quick side note, when I was little... And I used to, like, really little, like, six years old, seven years old. And I used to, like, fall and skin my knees. I would immediately start sucking the blood out of my knees because I thought it would turn me into a vampire. (laughs) And you wanted to be a vampire. Why? Who doesn't want to be a fucking vampire? 
uh, you live forever and you never age. I mean, well, n- although I'd, I don't know if I'd want to say like a seven year old child for the rest of my life. Like interview with a vampire. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I clearly I was a very bright child. <laughs> you really didn't think that one through. <laughs> hey, I was like six or seven years old. Anyways, whatever. When I was like three, I tried to fly. I thought I could fly and I jumped down my neighbor's stairs like it's a full on full staircase to the second floor. Did you break anything? I surprisingly, I didn't break a thing. Like I should have broken my neck, quite frankly, because I tumbled and hit the stairs. And by the time my parents came to me, I was crying and they thought it was because I was hurt. But I was just really pissed that I couldn't fly. Wow. (laughs) So but I was three. So just saying. Children are brilliant. (laughs) Brilliantly stupid. (laughs) All right. So next we have David Gonzalez, who I don't know much about this person. And I kind of want to do an episode on this because this sounds um, really, really interesting. He killed four people in 2004, uh, claiming he wanted to emulate Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, how did we not hear about this? I have no idea, but I we need to do research yeah. on, on this guy. Uh, he was thought to have paranoid schizophrenia, although the jury for his case decided to convict him of murder. Anyways, huh. there is Jared Lee Loeffner, convicted of killing six people and wounding 13, including U.S. Representative Gabrielle Giffords in 2011. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And finally, we have James Egan Holmes, currently on trial for the 2012 Batman murders in Aurora, Colorado, and he has been diagnosed with schizophrenia by 20 different doctors. Yikes. So a lot of killers with schizophrenia diagnoses. All right. And now we have Albert Fish, who claimed to have raped, killed, and cannibalized hundreds of children. He has a long family history of mental illness with both his siblings ending up in mental hospitals. At one point, Fish's psychiatrist called him a psychiatric phenomenon for all of his disorders. So, so once again, rare, but we have another example of a serial killer who has multiple personality disorders. Fish tried to argue that he was legally insane, but the jury decided that he had a psychopathic personality without psychosis. Oh, my God. He was found guilty and put to death. During his lifetime, Albert Fish was never officially given a diagnosis for what was wrong with him, but the disorder which his actions most clearly match up with is known as sexual sadism disorder. According to the DSM-5, sexual sadism has two major factors that make it identifiable. The first of these factors is that the individual must experience recurrent and intense sexual arousal from physical or psychological suffering of another person or themselves. Check. Uh, not for me, for him. <laughs> Let's just, yeah. I just, just want to clarify that. Also. I'm just making a icky, horrified face over here. <laughs> yeah, he he's disgusting um this arousal often manifests itself in fantasies urges or behaviors the second factor is that the individual had acted on these urges with a non-consenting person 
and or these urges and fantasies cause clinical distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of function. In order for one to be diagnosed with sexual sadism disorder, they must meet both of these criteria. The disorder must also persist for around six months. So check and check for him. And I think this started in his childhood and went on until he was an old man. So definitely way past that six month mark yeah what so with the six months like they i don't get i'm not sure i understand the qualifier like so like if you just did it once and never did it again that yeah. would maybe not necessarily yeah okay like you know some people might do it once you know just experimenting in the bedroom or i don't know oops and- accidentally <laughs> killed my partner well it doesn't say you have to kill someone oh that's true you get okay it just says you have to um let's see you have to experience recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the physical or psychological suffering of another or themselves so this could be totally self-inflicted you don't necessarily have to do something to someone else the second factor is that the individual had acted on these urges with a a non-consenting person and or these urges and fantasies cause clinical distress or impairment in social occupation blah, blah 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 well i guess the second factor it would involve someone else but the first factor non-consensual yeah the first factor uh it sounds like it could just be sexual arousal for inflicting pain on yourselves which you know part of his thing was hammering like nails and shit and it was or paddling himself with paddles with nails and they found like what like 17 nails in his pelvic region so he he enjoyed both he enjoyed you know causing himself pain and inflicting pain on others oh good he was a sick fucker and then there have also been a number of killers who were never diagnosed with mental illnesses for example dean coral also known as the candy man or the pied piper who kidnapped raped and killed 28 boys between 1970 and 73 in houston texas uh he was never diagnosed with any sort of uh disorder and there was also also uh timothy mcveigh the Oklahoma City bomber of 1995. He killed 168 people and injured over 600 people. And yet, too, he was never diagnosed huh. with a mental illness. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't realize the the number of his victims was so great. Um, yeah. Horrible. 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 Now let's get to the nurture side All of right. things. So when... Psychology emerged as a science in the early 20th century. It focused on nurture. In other words, how a person's environment affects or causes their behavior. The family environment was assumed to be the key factor in determining who we are. And in the 1960s, geneticists began to challenge this view. Psychological traits such as mental illness clearly run in families, but there was a gradual recognition that family resemblance could be due to nature or genetics rather than nurture or environment alone, because children are 50% similar genetically to their parents. And during the past four decades, scientists have concluded, nope. (laughs) conducted (laughs) long-term studies on special relatives like twins and adoptees to test the effects of nature and nurture. This research has built a mountain of evidence showing that genetics contributes importantly to all 
psychological differences between us. In fact, inherited DNA differences account for about 50% of the differences between us in our personality, mental health and illness, and cognitive abilities and disabilities. Studying genetically informative cases like those of twins and adoptees led to some of the biggest findings in psychology because for the first time, nature and nurture could finally be disentangled. Wow, that's crazy. So one of the most remarkable discoveries is that most standard measures of the environment that are used in psychology, such as quality of parenting, social support, life events, show significant genetic impact. However, is this possible when environments have no DNA themselves? Genetic influence slips in because the environment is not just randomly, quote, out there, mm. independent of us and our behavior. We select, modify, and even create our environments in line with our genetic tendencies. So correlations between such so-called environments and psychological traits don't necessarily mean that the environments cause the traits. For example, parental negativity correlates with their children's antisocial behavior, but this does not mean that the parents cause their children's antisocial behavior. Instead, this correlation is substantially caused by parents responding negatively to their children's genetic-driven propensities. Oh, okay. This and is so interesting. I, I hope this is um, making sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is to me. But... A second crucial discovery is that the environment works completely different from the way environmentalists thought it worked. For most of the 20th century, environmental factors were called nurture because the family was thought to be crucial in determining environmentally who we become. Genetic research has shown that this is not the case. We would be essentially the same person if we had been adopted at birth and raised in a different family. Environmental influences are important, accounting for about half of the differences between us, but they are largely unsystematic, unstable, and unique. In a word, random. Research at the Virginia Adult Twin Study of Psychiatric and Substance Use Disorders have studied several thousand sets of twins for more than 20 years. They have shown that conduct disorder in adolescents and antisocial behavior in adults is related to both genetic and environmental factors. So you can try and, you know, do things to make yourself better or to, like, live a healthier life or whatever, but depending on your genetics, you might be fucked. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be dark about it, but. Yes. And in these studies, you know, they show that when they separate twins, you take, you know, you put one in one environment, you put one in another environment, and they're very, very similar to each other with, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. They're, they're living in two different environments. It, some things are completely uncontrollable. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of see here where some of the answers to my question, is it nature versus yeah. nurture, which way it's leaning towards. And just to comment on what you just talked about, uh, this is a spoiler alert for the documentary Three Identical Strangers, uh, which I do highly recommend that everybody watches. Um, but what you just said is it pretty much exactly what that movie is about, uh, nature versus nurture, and how these three um, uh, triplets are surprisingly similar, mm -hmm. uh, even though they were brought up in very different households. And that that's all I will say about that. Do movie. any of them become serial killers? Uh, no, it is not serial killer related. 
unfortunately. All right. So where were we? The DNA differences inherited from our parents at the moment of conception when they're doing it. Hey, we don't (laughs) want to think about that for our own parents. Are the consistent lifelong source of psychological individuality. Words are hard. They are. (laughs) The blueprint that makes us who we are. A blueprint is a plan. It is obviously not the same as the finished three-dimensional structure. The environment can alter this plan temporarily, but after these environmental bumps, we bounce back to our genetic trajectory. Boom! <laughs> DNA. That's the sound our, our DNA makes. Did you know that? That's a scientific fact. It's a, it's a fact. Look it up, motherfuckers. Sharon did research. <laughs> she knows all about this. DNA isn't all that matters, though. (laughs) But it it matters more than everything else put together in terms of the stable psychological traits that make us who we are. These findings call for a radical rethink about parenting, education, and the events that shape our lives. It also provides a novel perspective on equal opportunity, social mobility, and the structure of society. So now we're going to talk about the combination of nature and nurture, because I think in a lot of these serial killers, you know, both things kind of play the part. I would agree. So mental health professionals have thought for many years that violent behavior is partly caused by a person's life experiences and partly by genetic influences. Recent research in which subjects were studied long... Longitudinally. I don't know. Nope. <laughs> Longitudinally. Maybe. I'd go with that. I know how to say it. I just can't. I just have a hard time saying it. All right. Here we go. In which subjects were studied longitudinally, nailed it, from childhood until adulthood, has started to clarify how a child's environment, his subsequent exposure to stressful life events, and his genetic makeup may interact to create and increased risk for violence and other mental disorders in adolescence and adulthood. So this part right here that I'm going to get into, I thought was pretty fucking interesting. Yeah. And, um, well, let's just get into it. So studies involving the monoamine oxidase A gene, also known as MAOA, which is going to be just referred to as MAOA now because the other thing was hard to say (laughs) right right showed that when there is low activity of this gene so if a person has low maoa neurotransmitters in the brain including serotonin dopamine and norepinephrine are not properly metabolized they found that when male subjects had a low activity of maoa and they were also mistreated as children, there is a much greater likelihood the person would manifest violent antisocial behavior in the future. That makes sense. And about 30% of white males are said to have low MAOA. Uh, I think the scientific name for them is bros. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a decent percent. It, it's, it is a decent percent. Yeah. And this is why this makes this uh, next part even more interesting is that uh, this low MAOA genetic, I guess, predisposition, you know, having this low MAOA has been used as a, quote, genetic defense and has actually been employed in criminal murder trials in the U.S. and Europe. 
The first case where defense lawyers attempted to use evidence on MOA function was of the convicted murderer, Stephen Mobley. Mobley came from an affluent white middle-class American family, and he was not abused or mistreated as a child. Yet, as he grew up, he became increasingly violent. And at age 25, he walked into a Domino's pizza and just casually shot the manager in the neck after robbing the till and joking that he would apply for the job vacancy when the man was dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. I have not heard of this before um, oh. my research. But, yeah, this guy, he's uh, he's a total dickwad. <laughs> that's the scientific term that's the scientific term i don't know what to call him. no he's fucked up he's disgusting and i'll get a little more into him um after the robbery he bragged about the killing and even had the domino's logo tattooed Dude, on his fucking back come on i know total for like numerous re- reasons <laughs> it sounds seriously it almost sounds kind of like a fucking psychopath like frat boy or something um, You're losing your bro contingency <clears throat> of listeners. Oh, because oh, we already have a huge have bro a huge contingency. Following of bros, um, Mobley's defense team sought advice from researchers involved in a study of a Dutch family in which males in successive generations had low to normal IQs and also abnormal violent behavior. Five affected males had been tested and have um, and were found to have absolutely no, not just low, but no MAOA function. So Mobley had an above average IQ, but a family history of four generations of males who either exhibited violent and antisocial behavior or were successful businessmen. Trump. Trump. <laughs> just saying. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. I had a little tickle in my throat. <laughs> Like Mobley's father, who was a successful businessman, uh, the chief witness for the defense was Mobley's aunt, Joyce Childers, who testified that various members of the Mobley family over the past four generations had inexplicably been very violent, aggressive, and criminal, although most of them, quote, mellowed in middle age. Oh, boy. The defense lawyer asked for a gene test for MAOA function in an attempt to commute the death penalty to a life sentence this was refused on the grounds that the genetic research referred did not meet the required standards for permissible scientific evidence mobley was eventually executed in 2005 so this basically concludes the whole um argument for nature the argument for nurture um and after all the research that i've done I'm going to say that nature wins hands down and people like Bundy would have ended up like Bundy no matter what. But I still wonder about people like Eileen Warnos and, you know, maybe she's had a few more hugs growing up or grew up in a more (laughs) loving family or had therapy if they would have if she would have ended up being a serial killer because her childhood was so horrible, unlike Bundy, which Actually, we are about to get into him a little bit further because um, I'm actually in the middle of reading The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule right now. His childhood was not so horrible that you would, it's just, it's still kind of like dumbfounds me the, the amount of brutality 
that he um, perpetrated towards his victims compared to Eileen Warnos, who was uh, physically abused, sexually abused, uh, completely unloved, like basically right. tossed out into the street as a preteen. And like a lot of her killing, well, to some degree, was in her own way a method of survival to like survive a rape or mm. then later to kind of find ways yeah, to live. It wasn't the way most of us would do it, but. There's a lot of evidence that shows that she was never raped by any of her um, her victims, like she claimed originally. Um, I, I think, though, by that time, her brain was probably so twisted and convoluted yes. because of everything that she had been through. Exactly. And also, but like the brutality towards her victims, yes. I mean, any form of murder is horrible. It's right. wrong. But she shot her victims. She didn't torture them the way Bundy did the way Dahmer did you know the way uh so many other killers you know they just brutally like raped tortured cannibalized their victims it goes beyond you know so you think that if someone like Eileen Warnos with as much abuse as she suffered yeah she was not able she you know her acts of violence did not include those things right then you take someone like Bundy and you're just wondering like if this was all just in his brain like this is just the way he was born to do the horrible disgusting torturous things that he did to his victims and it couldn't have been stopped no matter what it's it's really scary yeah we will I'll let you get into that but I I would agree um Bundy's really hot right now for some reason like every a lot of people have been talking about him again and I well, with the new documentary and the new Zac Efron movie, yes, he's yeah, he's become quite popular again. But he had such an inflated ego and was so narcissistic that like part of me is like wants to just be like, whatever, you mama's boy. Like you just had an overblown problem. Well, he wasn't even a mama's boy. He didn't. I don't think really liked but, his mother too much. No, because of the whole he was insecure about. Well, I should let you get into it, but he was he he was average and i think he had a problem being average he wanted to be more than that and but it, in a lot of ways he was above average and like yeah you know as i'm reading as i'm reading the stranger beside me now which i have read so i should probably yes yeah but, and you hear the off. way and roll describes him um in the beginning of the book and and their friendship and it's so funny because like a part of me is like reading this almost like it's fiction and i'm like even though i know obviously what happens i was like He's not going to do all those things that like, he's accused of. Like, no way. Like, well, and what's so messed up about that book is that Anne Rule, like, she's no she's no dummy. Like, she's a badass. Like, and to have her fooled, that's, like, what threw me. But anyway, let's get into it. So let's get into Ted Bundy. And um, to quote the brilliant Anne Rule, Ted Bundy fits no pattern at all. You could not look at his record and say... See, it was inevitable that he would turn out like this. In fact, it was incomprehensible. Which, like, exactly my point earlier is based on his background of not being horribly abused as other people like Henry Lee Lucas and Eileen Warnos right. were. The fact that the the intensity or the, um, what's a good word? Um, the maliciousness of his of his crimes. Yes, the maliciousness of his crimes is just it's beyond comprehension. It really, really is. Um, so a little bit about 
Bundy, for uh, those of you who don't know or those of you who do know, here's a little refresher. He was born at a home for unwed mothers in Burlington, Vermont, where he remained for the first two months of his life. Bundy began thinking his birth mom was his sister, not his mother. It is theorized that his actual mom, Louise, was raped by her own father. His grandmother suffered from depression and agoraphobia. Uh, That was awesome. And his grandfather, and possibly father, has been described as having a raging temper. His acts of violence were inflicted... This is the grandfather now, not Bundy. The grandfather um, inflicted uh, violent acts upon cats, dogs, employees, and family members. Bundy may have experienced physical or psychological abuse at the hands of his grandfather, even though later in life he stated they had a good relationship. He does go back and forth on that, though, which is interesting, um, because he's said both things. In the book? Or in general, general. like I've heard, yeah. But that, I think, is telling in and of itself. Yeah. The um, parts I've read so far, he's only said good stuff. And I've watched the confession tapes, and I've watched another documentary on him. And um, honestly, I don't remember specifics. But after I finish the book, I kind of want to re-watch the confession tapes again. Um, So he... uh, also exhibited some disturbing behavior as a child. His aunt claims that one night she woke up and found Bundy as just a toddler placing knives around her sleeping body. Bundy's childhood behavior sometimes went beyond social awkwardness. A fellow Boy Scout remembered Bundy once coming from behind to hit him over the head with a stick. He also liked to scare people, which... Who doesn't like to scare people? Not like he did, though. No. Well... No, he, he went a little beyond the uh, the norm. Uh, a childhood acquaintance recounted, and I'm not making excuses for Bundy, by the no, way. No, I know. <laughs> uh, let's, yeah, just want to clear that up. Uh, a childhood acquaintance recounted his fondness for digging holes in the ground, putting stakes inside, then covering them with vegetation. At least one girl fell in and hurt her leg in one of these tiger traps. Bundy did not get along with his stepfather and would act out as a child. As Bundy grew older, he disdained his stepfather's lack of intelligence, and friends witnessed him provoke his stepfather, who would sometimes strike out at Bundy in frustration. Bundy's mom went on to have former children, which took a lot of attention away from Bundy, and after his capture, he stated that he was unloved. Oh, let's get the tiniest little violins out and play them for Ted Bundy for being unloved. Then supposedly, when Bundy was a teenager and learned the truth about his birth, he saw that his father, and I don't think that was actually, this source may be a little off. I think he was in a more, um, in it, wasn't he like in his young 20s when he went back? Again, he I think he changed the to story the East Coast. depending yeah. on who we talked to. But I know it was a point of contention with him, which Ann Rule gets into, I think. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he was illegitimate was a bigger deal back in those days. And yeah. so it was like a, not a chip on his shoulder, but like it was part of the inferiority complex I think he had, which get over it, dude. Everybody has weird right? shit in their life. And yeah, when he saw that his father um, was listed as unknown, he felt humiliated. He enjoyed pulpy detective fiction stories with gore filled depictions of rape and murder. Bundy would sometimes masturbate inside closets at his junior high school, getting doused with water when his classmates caught him. I mean... He began shoplifting and became a peeping Tom who spied on strangers um, 
Yeah, and voyeurism is a common precursor to sexual violence. So that's just a little bit about his childhood that we're not going to get into his adulthood or anything. But still, you look at that, there's nothing in there that's like, uh, yeah, I I need to uh, murder, rape, cut the heads off women and didn't he he had sex with the women after he murdered them oh too, yeah right so yeah i think he's a good maybe a good combination of both because he has that uh of nature and nurture to a degree because he was born a certain way but then like the whole factor of like you know he felt shame because he was illegitimate and like his grandfather it sounds like he i'm gonna go with he probably was kind of a psycho too mm-hmm. um so but i do, i agree that i don't think i think if he had like been adopted and lived in a different environment there would have been something else that would have triggered him yeah i think in this case it just happened to be the illegitimacy and then like his first the first girl he fell in love with is who he modeled all of his victims after. And that's what I, you wonder if she never broke up with him in the first place. Um, so a little background on her, because he always felt that he was, you know, he was uh, in- inferior to her because her, fa- her family was upper class. They were upper class. They were rich. She was smart. She was beautiful. She was brilliant. He Which thought, I- that makes me go like, shut up, Bundy. Just get your shit together and like make a career for yourself. Who cares if you're middle ca- middle class? Yeah, but he, you know, she, he never thought, he thought this girl was out of his league. He could never be with her. And then he ended up dating her. Yeah. And then she broke his heart. And then he kind of had this revenge plan that he worked on for years where he did get himself up into that more yeah. upper class status. And she took him back and he wined and dined her and got her to fall in love with him and basically convinced her that they were going to get married then he started treating her like shit and fucking dumped her and then he started killing women so you wonder if they got married and stayed happily married would he have ever started killing women i think he would have you think he would have from something else but also that is like one of the most intensely planned out like revenge plans on an ex i've ever read about it's vindictive for sure i mean they met in high school right no like, no no oh, oh no they were no they no, met in college, college. Yeah, yeah 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 it's been a while since i've read i should yeah. read that book but i was impressed not not impressed that sounds positive but i was like damn like he put a lot of effort into just like shaming her for breaking up with him you know what i'd say a fucking like high five if he didn't start killing women after that yeah i mean yeah i mean it's a little psychotic and it's a little out there i admire the uh the The tenacity yeah thank you (laughs) all right so now let's get on to another um for the record he sucks and was like he's the worst oh yeah he's a horrible fucking person yeah let's yeah. yeah but just to say gotta laugh and um so now another just as a brutal malicious uh serial killer who also from what we know had a relatively normal childhood um and you would never suspect that someone raised like that would go on to do the horrible things that they did and the fact that it is basically all nature with him like Bundy it just makes it even more terrifying that um, someone could just be born like this and just one day they're going to snap. And as of right now, there is no gene, there's no serial killer gene that has ever been isolated 
to be like, oh, we can test this person and see if they're going to grow up to be a serial killer and try and do like some um, prevention before it gets to that point before it escalates. Yeah, so, I don't know that like Bundy or the next person you're going to mention, I don't know that that could have ever been prevented with like if that technology existed. It, no, yeah. But they were also the guys that the neighbors would say, oh, he was such a nice guy. I never would have suspected it of him. You know, like. Well, from, definitely Bundy. Dahmer, he well, was a little bit more of a loner. Well, let's get let's, into Dahmer. Let's get into Dahmer, yeah. All right. So he was described as an energetic and happy child until the age of four when surgery to correct a double hernia. Oh, shit. Spencer has had two hernia surgeries. Uh, So he had (laughs) surgery to correct a double hernia, which seemed to affect a change in the boy. Uh Uh-oh. Spencer... Don't fucking... He's starting to let his hair grow. He, he is. He's, he's slowly becoming a different person. Something is changing. <laughs> <laughs> so Dahmer's mother, Joyce Dahmer, suffered from depression and attempted suicide. His father, Lionel, was a research chemist and preoccupied with his doctoral work, so was largely absent from his childhood. Although he and his dad, they, they did have one father and son activity that they did together. They bleached the connective tissue and the hair off animal corpses when they found animals who had died under their house. That's what? that's normal, right? I actually don't know very much about Jeffrey Dahmer's background, oh. so this is really interesting. But <laughs> what the fuck? So eventually only a pailful of bones would remain. It was like a personalized rattle <gasps> and uh, the family would call them his fiddlesticks. Oh my God. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, he's just That's- playing with his fiddlesticks. <laughs> They're bones of dead animals. It's just a pile of bones of dead animals. That's it's fun. Normal. You can, you can buy that Toys R Us, right? I think Patel makes well, not, that. Well, not anymore because Toys R Us is out of business. But I'm, I'm pretty sure when I went to Toys R Us as a child. Mattel they- is still, uh, they're still making them. They are? Oh, okay. Well, cr- you know, Christmas is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for a gift for your kids. Fiddlesticks. <laughs> Fun for, fun for the whole family. It's called My First Fiddlesticks. Oh, there you my go. My First Fiddlesticks. Oh, man. Ar- arts and crafts. This is why I don't have kids. <laughs> then, then Jeffrey's brother David came along. It's, it's always, you know, that that second, third, fourth child just taking all the attention away. You know. that That's a, a breaking point for a lot of people who are, are born with mental health disorders were you know they're predisposed to be serial killers so he came along when jeffrey was five years old throughout childhood jeffrey resented his brother as a competitor for their parents scant attention and became and he became increasingly withdrawn between the time when jeffrey was six and eight years old his family frequently moved before settling in bath ohio where jeffrey lived until he graduated from high school see all these there were so many questions about jeffrey dahmer during our uh, serial kill- killer trivia. Now we would have been pros. Oh, man, we we would have gotten all these right. All right, so they finally settled in Bath, Ohio, where Jeffrey lived until he graduated from high school. And over those early years, Joyce and Lionel fought with regularity. 
their relationship ended in a messy divorce mm. towards the end of Dahmer's high school years. And according to a forensic psychiatrist who interviewed and evaluated Dahmer and served as an expert witness in his trial, as an early adolescent, Dahmer had an off-the-charts libido with constant Whoa. fantasies about doing harm, more specifically killing men and having sex with their corpses. Wow. So yeah, it seems pretty unavoidable. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, wow. He was just fucked from the get go. But what would he be if they didn't have that second kid? <laughs> I mean, it's it's like one thing like that can send somebody off oh. in a whole other direction. I, you know, but but having, that's why this is so complicated. It, it is very complicated. But I'm I'm gonna go. You know, I'm team nature i'm still i actually was team nurture right now i'm i'm thinking team nature regardless so according to Dahmer, these thoughts took up about two-thirds of his day he hmm. began drinking as a teenager to suppress his urges and didn't talk to anyone about the disturbing thoughts he was having so here's a question what mm-hmm. if he got therapy when he was a kid well like yeah that's a point i brought up earlier you know with eileen warnos like what if yeah you know, uh, uh, more attention from parents not having a sibling a uh, little more love uh, some therapy I, you know i still think but i think Dahmer would have i mean if he's yeah. already naturally having those thoughts yeah. young that's not a good a- unless you just like heavily heavily medicated him <laughs> yeah and which who knows most of his classmates thought of Dahmer as an outcast, but he did have a few friends. Some were troubled by his heavy drinking. He drank both beer and liquor while in high school by smuggling it inside of the lining of his army fatigue jacket. Man. His grades were average, but then took a dive as his drinking spun out of control. He played clarinet briefly in band. He was a decent tennis player. Um, but overall, his teachers did observe Jeffrey as being polite and quiet. Because he was drunk. <laughs> He was wasted. That's hardcore, dude. Wow. Although he was awkward and regularly amused his classmates by staging pranks such as acting out seizures. Are we sure they were not alcohol related? (laughs) Right. (laughs) He might have been having some delirium tremens. Some DTs. Um, (laughs) Acting out by having seizures, knocking over items, and making loud, obnoxious noises. Yeah, I did here before that he was kind of a class clown the pranks were so popular similar behavior was referred to as i don't know why this is so funny doing a dahmer you know i'm gonna say that from now on i'm totally gonna say that too at the age of 16 he fantasized about raping a jogger he saw regularly and planned to attack the man one day jeffrey lay in wait with a baseball bat in the bushes along the man's regular route. The man did not come by that day, and Jeffrey never attempted to carry it out again. Wow. Like, what stopped that? What happened that day that that jogger didn't go jogging? I don't know, but can you imagine, like, reading this or, like, watching a documentary about and Dahmer? Being, yeah. and be like, holy fuck, like, I was that jogger. Like, thank God I had fucking crying diarrhea that morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was pissed at the time, but that diarrhea saved my life. <gasps> did did they interview Dom or did he admit to that later? Yes. Is that how they found yes. out about that? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. There's actually um, a lot of interviews of him in prison, which I need to watch those um, again. I watched some of them a long time ago, but yeah, he he's very open and candid about 
everything he mm. did and all his thoughts. Well, and- in the seventies too. I mean, if he was having like fantasies about men, like that was obviously. I think the social stigma probably had something to do too with the true issues. I mean, I don't think but I he was think also he killer, having but. fantasies about having sex with these men dead. Right, right, right. I'm not saying that, like, like yeah. there's an even greater stigma to that. Like, yeah, he <laughs> wasn't of. just having homosexual fantasies. He was having ne- necrophilic. Yeah, yeah. Sexual fantasies, which. Yeah. But none of the above are good signs in any way, shape, no, or form. No, so I, I think those are two great examples of of people who it's clearly 99.9% nature yeah. in their cases. I It's still, as I've you know already said, it still just really makes me wonder the ones who were so abused as children if they would have turned out as bad if they had not been abused. Yeah, because I don't think that the like the um, nurture factors in either of their cases were enough to push no them over way. the edge. But no like, way. I think that like, had they had different paths, it's something would have triggered whatever it is that made them crazy mm-hmm. eventually. So let's talk about psychopaths who don't kill. Let's. So what is it that makes a criminal psychopath get into trouble while non-criminal psychopaths do not? Some researchers speculate that criminal psychopaths may be steered towards criminality by their backgrounds. In particular, a lack of early parental supervision, deprivation, and having a convicted parent. According to Craig Newman, a professor of psychology at the University of North Texas, the true definition of psychopath is actually pretty narrow. Broadly speaking, psychopathy, which is how I've been saying it, but Spencer said it's psychopathy. So pick the one you like better and go with yeah, it. Yeah, I honestly, I think it's one of those words that it's interchangeable depending on where you want to put the emphasis. So let's just say psychopathy because that's my preferred way of saying it. And you're the one who's reading this, so you win. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, fair enough. Psychopathy refers to a pathological personality style that is characterized by someone being interpersonally deceptive, effectively cold, behaviorally reckless, and often overtly antisocial. To qualify, he says, a person must possess traits pertaining to each of the four domains, interpersonal, affective, lifestyle, and antisocial. Hmm. The corresponding traits are as follows. So the interpersonal traits would be that they're manipulative, deceitful, and or narcissistic. The affective traits would be a lack of remorse, they're callous, and they may take pleasure in hurting others. Lifestyle would be they're impulsive, They may use illegal substances, and they may have disregard for the consequences of their actions. And finally, antisocial traits, uh, they're basically physically aggressive, and they may have a history or a tendency towards criminal behavior. Newman also notes, psychopathy, psychopathy, (laughs) is a scale. So it's not that you're either a psychopath or not, he says. In the same way, someone can have severe depression, but it's also possible for someone Mm. to have mild or moderate depression. I could see that. So you can be a mild psychopath or you can be a moderate psychopath or severe psychopath. 
from an anonymous woman that Newman interviewed who says she was diagnosed as a psychopath in her mid-20s. There is also this mistaken thinking that all serial killers are psychopaths, which is not even remotely true. It's just a myth that won't die. There's a phrase, not all psychopaths are serial killers, but all serial killers are psychopaths. That's just incorrect. But people hear this and they associate us as serial killers. For some reason, people think we want to kill people. And I think that probably comes from a lack of empathy. People believe that if you have a lack of empathy, that automatically opens a floodgate of antisocial behavior. That's not really how it works. I may not care. I may not have an emotional reaction to someone's pain, but that does not mean that I'm going to go out of my way to cause someone pain. It just means that I don't have an emotional response. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. To be a psychopath without killing... I mean, it's fairly common. Most psychopaths are not killers. So now um, Spencer is going to give Mindy and I a quiz to see whether or not we are psychopaths. He's going to read the questions. We are going to keep track of our answers because uh, we don't really want to read our answers to everyone. But at the end of the quiz, we will let you know whether or not we're psychopaths. So Spencer, do you want to describe the quiz? Yep. And you don't, uh, also by not saying your answer out loud, you don't want to influence the other person. Right. You might. Yeah. Good yeah. point. Okay. So, uh, and I think we will post a link to this probably on Instagram or something like that. Yeah. Or on Twitter. Yeah. Um, all right. So it says instructions. This quiz is designed to help give you some idea about whether or not you may be a psychopath or sociopath or have psychopathic tendencies. This quiz is not meant to diagnose psychopathy. That's how I say it. Psychopathy. Psychopathy. (laughs) Or tell you definitively whether or not you are a psychopath. But it will give you... Psychopath. Psychopath. But it will give you a pretty good idea based upon the research. For each item, indicate how much you agree or disagree with the statement. Take your time and answer, answer truthfully for the most accurate results. So, I am a... You have to put in a number. How old are you? That's the first box. So, type in your age. And then you have to choose whether you are female, male, or other. Done. Done. Number one. Most would describe me as charming and nonchalant. I can turn my charm on and off like a faucet. So, then the options are not me, this describes me somewhat, or this is definitely me. And let me know when you have put in your answers. Next question. Yes. Number two. I do what I want, when I want, the moment the impulse strikes me, regardless of what others want. That's Eric Cartman. <laughs> oh, Eric Cartman is definitely a psychopath. He even says that. I do what I want. <laughs> oh, now I feel like I have to do my Eric Cartman impression, but I won't. Wait, Spencer, are you answering these questions as well? Uh, no. It's, it's that takes us. too much brain effort. I can do it later. Okay. Number three. Uh, oh, and the options are the same as previously. Yeah. yeah. Each question has the same. Same options. Yeah. Yeah. Number three. If something goes wrong or turns out badly, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. All right. Next question. I've gotten into legal or criminal trouble as an adult, not just a speeding or parking ticket. Next. I am easily the best at what I do, bar none. Nobody could ever take my place. I feel like that is Trump talking. Yep. (laughs) For sure. I do whatever I feel like doing, and I don't care what others think. 
or even if it's illegal. Next. Every person for themselves. I don't see the point in feeling sorry for other people and have no desire to help others. Mindy, don't look at my screen. No cheating. <laughs> okay, next one. I've gotten into legal or criminal trouble when I was a teenager, not just a speeding or parking ticket. Uh, and the, the, the original one was adult, and this one is a teenager. Yeah, okay. I have no problem or concern in line in order to get what I want. Ready? Okay. Live in the moment is what I say. The future will take care of itself, and learning from your past is pointless. Okay. I never feel remorse, shame, or guilt about something I've said or done. And finally? Last question, number 12. I don't see the point in taking on responsibilities of any kind. They just weigh you down. All right. Tally up our scores. Oh, man. Mindy? I have a grand total of one. One? That's what it says. It says I'm not a psychopath. Okay. Well, I have a grand total of 11. (laughs) What? But I'm also not a psychopath. Woohoo! We're not psychopaths. I, I don't really get the number total thing. Like... Yeah, I, but, I'm on the border, though. I'm like two away from being a moderate to minor psychopath. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this was rather... Um, I mean, you're like pretty much like not a psychopath which at I, all. I mean, I, don't, I feel like this was kind of like over the top questions so in the, a way. So there's a scoring key. It says, uh, if you scored 0 through 12, no psychopathic tendencies. Which I don't know that at, I'd agree with that, but for me personally... Uh, number uh, 13 through 17 is moderate to minor psychopathic tendencies. And then 18 and up is strong psychopathic tendencies. And I don't think it says what the top score would be. But uh, there so, you Mindy, go. do you think you're more of a psychopath than the quiz stated? I don't. But like, I also. Did you answer honestly? I honestly did. But like a lot of it was like, you know, I thought kind of extreme dream like you know i don't empathize with other people who care it's like it's every man for himself well that's why it's like the option yes this is me not at all or somewhat right i mean that wouldn't be me because i'm like well i think about my the effects of other my actions have on other people and well for that question but honestly a lot of the questions were like somewhat to me yeah yeah i can see that because i i think you know in most things it's not just black or white there's a lot of gray areas so yeah having that middle option helps yeah it depends on the situation well that's good to know so it says uh you answered this quiz consistent with people who would not generally be considered a psychopath by research methods currently used to quickly screen for psychopathy or psychopathy in the population so that's good common myth while many people believe that psychopathy is more prevalent among ceos and wall street bankers this is a myth not supported by any research while on the surface it may seem that many of the symptoms and traits of psychopathy might lend themselves to positions of greater power the two are not synonymous so but in trump's case it's totally (laughs) well (laughs) totally accurate it is but he also like never worked for anything it's not like he achieved anything he had his family's wealth given to him and one of the problems that psychopaths tend to be pretty quickly outed for is their antisocial behaviors because the charm is purely superficial and easily detected over time with greater exposure to the psychopath. Congratulations <laughs> for not being a psychopath today. I like they added that at the bottom. I do. All right. So. Interesting. 
that basically uh, concludes our episode on nature versus nurture. And we hope you learned some um, some new information about serial killers and um, the effects that nature and nurture nature and nurture play on someone's outcome on whether or not you know they might end up being a killer or even you know just like a a criminal right that's a lot to digest too so like it is you have to maybe think about it (laughs) for a little bit and go back and but I'm really glad we finally decided to do this topic and also um it, it it definitely answers my questions a lot more and for sure yeah make me look at um criminals a bit differently now you know like even if charlie manson was raised in like a healthy household he could still he'd probably be a great politician because he's really great at being manipulative obviously he he didn't want to be a politician he wanted to be a musician so maybe yeah, he, but, he got that record deal that he wanted to. But like, ha, you know, had he li- like, you know, because his childhood was not great at all. And like, and it also was not as bad as he claimed it to be. I so. also think that like, though, he like he still would have had those same yeah. traits, but just maybe used them in a way that a more positive way. Just the last couple comments for me. I just took the quiz and I also got a one. Really? Um, which so, <laughs> so I think clearly I, I'm the most psychopathic. <laughs> But you're, of the three of us. But you still don't have psychopathy. Psychopathy. Um, and I think the scoring is if you said not me, that's a zero. If you said that's yeah. me somewhat, that's a one. Yeah. Uh, which Because I, I only did one of those. And then if you uh, chose um, this is definitely me, that's a two. I love psychology. I love the way the mind works. And um, doing the research for this episode was so much fun to me. Um, and I hope all of you enjoyed it. And if you um, want to write in and have any like questions or comments on yeah. this episode or anything else, um, if you have any other topics that you would like us to discuss on upcoming episodes, let us know. And as always, you know, write us any stories that you have, ghost stories, uh, scary stories, if you know anyone who's a psychopath who is or if you are a psychopath and you know without any sort of like criminal um any criminal behavior and you probably yeah and or not either way um we won't report you to the cops i guess yeah if you email us or whatever we don't have to know where that's from no we'll definitely report you to the cops if you write to us that you've murdered someone but no if you're a psychopath (laughs) or you've been diagnosed as a psychopath and you are not a criminal and you kind of want to defend yourself because obviously you have no control the way you're born like that lady talked about that you quoted Exactly. Yeah. And you you would like to describe to us a little bit more about what it's like to live um, your life as a psychopath. We would love to hear from you. And thank you so much for joining us. And as always, thanks thanks for for getting getting creepy with us. us.